Well, welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we're going to be hearing from Pastor Nathan Hoff. Using the acrostic H-E-A-R-T, or heart, Pastor Nathan Hoff will help us reflect on the life of David and apply the themes of hope, endurance, affections, relationships, and thanksgiving to our lives. Let's go to adventure, shall we? Let's go to an adventure. 2 Samuel 11. We haven't been much in 2 Samuel yet. What I want you to do first with your Bible, if you've got a Bible or your phone or whatever you got, open up to 2 Samuel 11. And in 2 Samuel 11, going into just the first verse of 12, I want you to notice or even underline, circle every time you see the word sent. I'll give you a second. It is. Even there's other related words to sent that are that open up the you know lexical family even more. You know, if um, they went back or um, he invited him. You know, there there even invite is a kind of opposite form of send, isn't it? You know, it's commanding, it's delegating. You know, and this is the issue I want to look at a bit today with with the affection that I call adventure. Now. I could have picked a better name for it, but I had to fit it into my acronym. So, um, but I think it's an okay, it's an okay word too. It's a, it's a captivating call that God gives. God gave Dave, David a um, captivating call as king, as husband, as family man, as warrior, as poet. As there's, you know, there's just he, he's so affectionate, isn't it? Isn't he? Uh, David is, and he's coming off of a lot of victories, actually. If you, you, you don't have to look, you just believe me if you want, but 2 Samuel 8, massive victories. He's winning victories against his enemies, so much so that some of the enemies actually come to David and say, don't hurt us, we'll just follow where you're going. Let, let, we want to be in your family. And so there's this wonderful, like, uh, you know, victory, overcoming time. It's the golden age, the dynasty of the of the people of Israel. It's why everybody from then on out is going to be measured against David and the amount of kingdom that has been, has been claimed. And I really think the issue of kingdom is significant when we think about David. He's a king, and he's the king of a kingdom, and there's many things that are in line with what God is intending, a new kind of reign, a new kind of realm in, in the world, a new kind of way of being human, uh, and even for those nations that were either uh, defeated or that voluntarily came under the, um, you know, like vassal state almost probably of Israel, of David, uh, there's a new, a new way of being. Kingdom people, they become people of the Davidic kingdom at least, and sometimes when at its best, the, of God's kingdom and God's ways. There's more victories in chapter 10, and these are big victories actually in chapter 10. And so there's all this adventure that David is, is involved in, you know, and he's always out there leading the charge and he's inspiring his people and um, their victories are uh, shared with him and when they face defeat, it's shared, it's shared with David. He's in, he's in it. He's in the adventure. Uh, and what we, what we see in Chapter 11 is this shift that takes place. In the year 
when kings go to battle, David sent Joab. There's a delegation that takes place. David delegates, um, I call it, David delegates his call. He delegates his call to Joab. You go do what I have been doing, what I've been called to do. He's bored. One of my favorite, one, I heard a girl one time in church, she went up to her mom, you know, mom's talking at, at, in the fellowship hall or something, and the girl looks at her mom and says, Mom, I'm boring. <laughs> she meant bored, but she kind of was boring too, actually. I <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't make fun for myself. I can't find a way to, you know, I, I want, you're in charge of my, of my happiness you're in charge of my adventure you know i need the tools from you i can't figure this out on my own honestly the kid probably could um and uh, but there's a delegation of adventure there's a delegation of playfulness there's a delegation of the vocation that david has uh received he delegated his call and he did it by sending he sent joab and his servants with him and all israel and they ravaged the ammonites and besieged rabbah but david remained at jerusalem what picture do you see of David. I mean, he's checked out. Happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. In Hebrew, this is lazy boy. No. And he's walking on the roof of the king's house. Now, I do not know how tall the king's house is. Someone probably knows. You know, you've read, you know, whatever. Uh, but in my imagination, his, his palace is eight stories high. And there's a roof because he's got eight wives, you know, so that's why it's eight stories high. And, you know, I'm sure David, you know, if you've got, you know, eight wives, it must be kind of boring, right? <laughs> you know, and kids that are involved in those marriages, and I mean, that's got to be just uh, deadly boring, I would think. I mean, you looking to fill your time, what should I do with all the time I have in my life? I guess I'll go up to the I guess I'll go up to the lazy boy up on the rooftop. And um, he's escaping. He's escaping. I do not know that there's eight stories on the king's residence. just my imagination, okay? He's walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I love how the, the one, we don't know who it is. And David doesn't actually ever say her name, I don't think. The woman. But even the one who comes and says something to David says, she's, she's got a jurisdiction. She's the wife of someone, she's the daughter of someone. And uh, David, I don't know if he doesn't hear it or he doesn't care. So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Didn't see that coming. Even kind of different with the cycle. I mean, I thought this was going to be kind of a safe time, maybe, that we could do this, go unseen, unknown. Uh, and the words that are used there are power words, aren't they? David is a lover. 
David knows love. David knows romance. It would either, it, to, be, to be loved by David would be either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. I mean, to be his wife on, on some days, I think, would be wonderful. And on other days would be just hell on earth. Guessing, but I, you know, from the, from the narrative. But here, the story has nothing to do with lover. I mean, it has nothing to do with expression of love. It has everything to do with power, which often is the case. The expression of power and commodity. David knows covenant. I mean, David knows covenant. David's a man after God's own heart. He knows the covenant friendship of Jonathan. He knows the covenant marriage that he's experienced with, uh, with eight different women. And he knows uh, he's like an expert in the marriage covenant, right? You should go to him for marriage experience with all that experience. But he is an expert in, in covenant, and yet he moves so quickly into commodification. And to this person is commodity. In fact, look at, look at the, the, it's the, it's the ickiest, non-lover kind of words that you've ever heard when it says he took her. He took her. And he lay with her. This is not equitable. This is not mutual. I, this, this is the king. You, you obey the king. I'm, this is me too. This is, this is rape, potentially. Uh, we don't have a window into what Bathsheba's thinking about this, but I, knowing the man she's married to, I'm thinking it's, it's trauma because she's married to a good man, uh, Uriah the Hittite. We're introduced to him. We're actually more introduced to him than is comfortable you just fall in love with this guy. David sent to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah the, to David. You, you think Uriah's a Hittite, and he's one of the, he's called it in other places, one of the mighty men of valor, one of David's mighty men of valor. And this guy's given up a lot to come align himself with David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing. That's like the worst small talk that's ever happened in the world, Right? And how's the war going? And blah, blah, blah. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. Uriah went down out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, did not go down to his house. When, David, when they told David, Uriah, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why don't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. How shall I go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as, my soul li as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. You know, David goes, darn. David delegated his call to Joab, but he delegated his character to Uriah. These are not things to delegate. Delegation is important, but do not delegate your call. And do not delegate your character. And David did. David did. God has this plan, this agenda, and it's around the, it's around the message of the kingdom. In fact, when God put on flesh and came and dwelt with, us, dwelt with us in Jesus Christ, his message was the message of the kingdom of God. He's David's son. 
And he came and, and extended the kingdom. He went into places where, where it looked like something else was in charge. Sometimes religious authorities that didn't even care about the people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes sickness was in charge. Sometimes death was in charge. Sometimes, you know, the empire was in charge. And Jesus, in, in, you know, it sounds so sweet to us, the kingdom of God has come near you. Oh, that's great, you know. But I tell you what, that's a threat to any other kingdom. Them's fighting words, actually, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst because it's a threat to any other kingdom that you have going. And from the very beginning, like we talked about in Genesis, Adam and Eve's whole thing is making their own kingdom, making their fort in the woods, right? Away from God. They are the creator. They're the ones who set the rules. They're the ones who define the relationship. And likewise, all the other sons and daughters of Adam and Eve have forevermore been building their own kingdoms, doing their own, doing their own thing, making their own rules. And so it's not warm and fuzzy news for many people when Jesus comes into their town or into their life and says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Over my dead body, I, I would be in charge. You know, you think it's good news to Pilate, the kingdom of God? Herod, good news, the kingdom of God is in your midst. No, I want to be king. I want to be king. David, Jesus is David's, as we say, greater son, Heaven has a plan, a hearty adventure, and a hearty hero. And we see hints of it in David's life as he commits himself to the kingdom, as he extends the, as he extends the reign and the rule of God geographically around the land of, of Israel. We see it so clearly in Jesus. Do you know how many Christians there are in the world or people who identify in some way with the Christian movement? about 1.2 billion Christians. That's a lot of people. Um, you imagine if, you imagine if 1.2 billion people were connected with the calling that God had given them and his agenda. The world would change, I believe, in a week. I honestly do, which makes me think that there's not 1.2 billion people that are connected with the call of God to the extent that he gives it. To be salt and light and to be kingdom people wherever they're at, any nook and cranny in the world. Um, I think there's a lot of us who are sitting up on the rooftop. Our lazy boy. I'm not, this is not a, meant to be a whip, you know. Get out of here, lazy boy. No questions, right? <laughs> I will say, though, I probably have more common conversations. What are you watching on Netflix than what's encouraging you these days, right? Uh, it becomes kind of important, you know, to us is this commitment to not the adventure, but to amusement. We're dull. I'm dull. Numb. Uh, not just by Netflix, by a million other things. And we're sitting up on our lazy boys in the middle of the afternoon while a lot of other people are having adventures. Do you know there's other captivating stories out there? There's, there's captivating stories that'll put people in planes and take lives from people, right? There's captivating stories that will make people 
sell everything they have and go join something. There's captivating stories that will make you buy things you didn't even think you needed, right? But now you're convinced you do. And I just wonder, why, why, has, well, why has the Christian story um, lost its captivating power in, in many ways in our, in our life? Robert Weber was a, um, is with the Lord now. He grew up in evangelical Christianity, went eventually, uh, he, it was a um, Wheaton connection, and then he went to a, a graduate school at one of the Concordia seminaries and um, fell in love with the kind of historic church. And by the, end of, by the end of his life, he wrote a book. He got pancreatic cancer. And he wrote a book that's this long, Who's, Who Gets to Narrate the World is the name of the book. InterVarsity published it. And it is like, it's like the book of a guy who's dying, you know? He's like, I'm not going to tell you cute stories. I'm just going to tell you the, the way it is, you know? And um, it's kind of like Luther's small called articles to me. He, Luther thought he was going to die. Then he joke was he didn't, you know? But the small called articles are just to the point. You know, there's no fussing around. I mean, he just gets right to it. And Robert Weber is like this too, and who gets to narrate um, the world? And he says there's competing narratives. There's competing people who want to author the, the world story. Consumer, materialistic consumerism is a captivating story. Coke has a story. Coca-Cola has a story. We want to have Coke within an arm's length of everybody on earth. Right? Um, radical Islam has a captivating story. Only about 25% of the total population of people connected to the uh, Islamic faith are, are radicalized. It's a lot of people that are captivated by uh, a story that is a cosmic story. Okay, It's a big honking story. And the, I believe the Christian story is bigger but we have somehow made it smaller and part of it is not on it wasn't on purpose we 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 have focused on the per, your personal relationship robert weber says the problem is most people hear that private it's your private relationship and that fits well in a multicultural you know multi-religion to no religion kind of society that i can have my thing you can have your thing this is a private thing and the the message of the kingdom the message of jesus and would become the first creed of the christian church is what jesus is lord jesus is lord which is you can pray for the emperor you can pray for caesar but you can't say caesar is lord so you got to be the best citizens in the whole empire christians but don't say caesar is lord because caesar's not lord there's no lordship is not a shared thing lordship is singular and jesus is is lord and a, a mix of these things i believe are putting us up on the ninth floor up on the rooftop you know of uh kind of uh, comfort and amusement um at the expense of the adventure the kingdom adventure that god god has called us to uh Francis Chan had a great quote. He said, uh, he said, I called myself a Christian, was pretty involved in church, and tried to stay away from all the things that good Christians avoid. 
You could list them right now. I know you could. Drinking, drugs, sex, swearing. Christianity was simple. Fight your desires in order to please God. Whenever I failed, which was often, I'd walk around guilty and distant from God. Uh, this, this kind of small telling, a moralistic kind of telling, that Christianity is defined as good behavior over and against bad behavior. It's something that affects you personally. So you can have Jesus, I mean, he kind of almost fits just right here, doesn't he, in my right pocket? Uh, and the, the, the biblical story of, of Jesus is, per, is so personal, without a doubt, but it's a cosmic story. It's a more cosmic story than any other narrative that's out there. The cool thing is it's actually a gracious story, redemptive story, a reconciling story, uh, about the happiest ending story you've ever, because it's not even an ending. It's such a good story. It's a true story is the best part about it. And so heaven has a plan, but I, I believe hell has a plan too, and it's to get people up on the rooftop. Hell has a plan to make, if you can't convince people not to be Christians, to apostatize, the next best thing, and it's almost better than the first best thing, is just to make them numb, half-hearted, disengaged from the adventure that God has put in front of them. This has happened to David. I, I want to tell you two quick contrasting stories. One, it, it's dealing with uh, the issue of stewardship of sexuality and communication of it with um, when I went on my uh, sabbatical a few years ago. I remember when I was a kid, I had, um, you know, I, I, growing up, and you were, ha were half done people. That's another good quote. I should tell you that quote. It's not for me. Yeah, this is Eugene Peterson. We're aware of something we need or lack most of the time. We're not complete. We're not fully human. The sense of being unfinished is pervasive and accounts for, the great, for a great deal of that, that which is distinctive in us humans. Then we attempt to complete ourselves by getting more education, more money, going to another place, buying different clothes, searching out new experiences. The Christian gospel tells us that in and under and around all these incompletions is God. God is who we need. The God hunger, the God thirst is the most powerful drive in us. It's far stronger than all the drives of sex, power, security, and fame put together. So because I, I know myself and I know the, the ways that I felt incomplete, you know, as a, as a boy and as a young man, I, I thought, I'm going to make a list of my own things. I started putting them on my iPhone's notes, you know, man list, I put. And then I asked the boys, I said, you know, I'm going to have sabbatical. I want to take some time during, uh, we'll go out early for breakfast before school, and I want to cover a few things. I have them written down, and I want to know what's on your mind. I, I gave them some examples. When I was a kid, I thought, I'm never going to learn how to change the oil I'm never going to know how to talk to a girl. I'm ne I, I don't think I'm ever going to know how to. And I had a, just a short list going. And, um, then, uh, and so I had some things I really wanted to give to my, my boys. I've got three. And then a, you know, one of theirs was how do you buy a house? And, and you know, things I didn't think of. You know, that is in their, it's taking up real estate in their brain. I didn't think it would, but it is, you know. And so we took one at a time at Fantastic Cafe. And one of them was the stewardship of, of 
our bodies, our sexuality? How do we, how do we steward the drives? How do we steward the um, temptations that we face? All of us, not just guys. It's everybody. And, um, you know, it's like the most awkward hour at the Fantastic Cafe that I've ever had, you know, in my life. And, um, like, can we rename it something different than the Fantastic Cafe, you know? Um, like the awkward cafe or the, you know, I'm talking about, you know, fantasy and I'm talking about pornography and I'm talking about temptation. I'm talking about guilt and I'm talking about shame and I'm talking about, you know, just the whole fantastic cafe mix of, you know, um, all the stuff talking about forgiveness and failure, my own failures and talking about things that they, they might face now or they probably will face and it was really hard it was not did not feel like an adventure it felt like and they too I could tell boy I'm sure glad we're going to school now <laughs> <sighs> glad that's over I, I didn't do that one first I did that you know after we talked about some other fun things and um, fast forward to getting involved in uh, Tanzania We've, our family got involved in a work in Tanzania about three years ago, girls that have been rescued from trafficking. And um, they, I always say, it, it's um, liberated slaves have captivated me. Um, they have given me an, another adventure, you know, and it's, it is from God. I know it is. And when we got back, we started asking the question, is there something we can do in our own in our own area with this issue of commodification of people, you know? And we, I met a man, we, we went down, Joy and I, to the YWCA. It was a group of like-minded people in one area and unlike-minded in every other area. But we were like-minded in the fact that we didn't think uh, slavery belonged in our world. And the guy who was the MC. It was Patrick Erlinson, and I leaned over to Joy when he was doing his MCs, just one of these, I mean, just energetic guys, and I said, that guy knows the Lord. We went up to him afterwards, and I said, I have got to meet you. He gave me his business card, Patrick Erlinson, abolitionist. That's what it said on it. And I thought, that is an adventure. That, and we've become really good friends. He has... He has a ton of things that he does. He's spinning a million plates. But um, one of my favorite things he does is something called Men Standing Against Trafficking. And we go down to a place once a month, big signs that say, real men don't buy kids, you know, or real men, real men. I, I, it has an English and Spanish, a bunch of different things, trafficking hotline. We go to a track, you know, a place where prostitution happens in Long Beach. And uh, right next to a hotel where... Uh, a trafficking victim was killed, actually murdered uh, in the act. Oh, and we stand there and he tells the story, a recent story. Every week it's different, or every month it's different, you know, something recent from a survivor, from something else. And um, I bring my boys. I say, you want to come to Men Standing Against Trafficking? And they say, are we going to have ice cream afterwards? I say, absolutely. And they say, sure, we'll come. And um, that's how it goes, doesn't it, Joy? It's like, how I can buy my children for McDonald's ice cream. <laughs> anyway, 
there we stand and you know we're holding signs and uh, it's peaceful but it's like in your face you know a lot of support of people driving by and some not support you know it's amazing there's some people that are for trafficking mostly pimps and um, the conversation we had about the commodification of women was the most natural conversation standing on the side of the road with a sign that said men weren't made to commodify women you know because then we can have that conversation in the midst of a bit of a shared adventure we're not sitting and eating sausage you know we're standing with a sign in our hand going did you hear the story that patrick told tonight you believe that you know some of that same it it you know it hasn't gone this far into actually purchasing or abusing but in the attitudes that we have of our heart the way we look at other people the way we commodify with our eyes or with our attitudes or with our hearts the way we try to escape by click 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 or the way we try to you know all of a sudden i feel like more more happened there on the side of the road and happens on the side of the road than it does that fantastic cafe is better i mean it's good to do that you you have to have those awkward conversations those hard conversations but um in in the midst of adventure it it just was so much more it felt so much more home um and when you actually have a you actually have a face when someone is actually the daughter of someone and the wife of uriah that changes the dynamic huge because there's no you know there's no names there's no actual names you have stage names in trafficking you have stage names in burlesque you have stage names in pornography you don't have an actual daughter of you know so-and-so wife of so-and-so uh, and i think there's almost god was so kind in david to go with the one who said i wonder who the one was I, really they don't name everybody else has a name but one came and told david oh isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of the wife of she's got a name you don't even say her name she's also got a uh, she's got a network she's got a, a family so david delegated his his call delegated his character we do it in other ways too i <laughs> i when i have to be careful because there's a few people that go to trinity here the blechners um but every once in a while i get a little you know bent out of shape about something at trinity or i'm you know ornery about something and i think i wonder what else is out there you know so here's where i go when i wonder what else is out there i call it church pornography <laughs> I go to the I, I, I go to the Church of England, you know, the parishes that need a priest. Because I
you, so that was good. <laughs> Welcome back to those listening on the CD. All, all one of you <laughs> buying the clearance CDs in the bookstore. <laughs> if you're having trouble sleeping and you put my CD on. <laughs> so it happens, the delegation of our call and of our character, you know, is more than just in the area of our, our sexual lives. I mean, it's key in David's, David's life for sure, but really in, in, in many different areas. So that's the, that's the way I want to finish today is the questions that go with today. How did David delegate his call and his character to others? How did his pursuit change? How did his dreams change? How did the chase morph? It's going to come out some way. You know, I, the, the, so many people are experiencing virtual life before they experience real life. I, we were driving down, we work at the Union um, Rescue Mission downtown uh, St. Uh, Paul, downtown Los Angeles on Skid Row, and uh, it's, I think it's about 30 square blocks where it's legal to set up a structure in the sidewalks in Los Angeles, that's what Skid Row is, and uh, all the relief agencies are right there, and Union Rescue Mission is one of the biggest ones. I'm driving this van full of kids from San Pedro down to L.A., we're driving by what is the name of that park? I, I just drove you guys by it. Uh, do you remember, Joy? Downtown Park in, um, it's a famous downtown park in Los Angeles. Uh, what's that? Those are all really good answers, but it's not the right one. Anyway, <laughs> right, right downtown, I'm driving by it, and the, the, these kids look out the window, they go, hey, I've been here before, on Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah. So they had experienced that downtown park, you know, virtually before they experienced it in reality. And in reality, it's worse than virtually, you know, because <laughs> you can't get the smell on the video game, right? Uh, but the, so it, it, so many people are experiencing uh, virtual before real, and the confusion is, is really great. And a lot of it is someone else having an adventure and you having it indirectly. Um, and so how did David delegate? There's other ways that it happens in our day and age. Second question, what portions of your call, of your call, have you delegated to others? What do you pursue, dream about, chase? And then I love Ephesians 3.20. says, far more abundantly than all we ask or think. NIV says, all that we ask or imagine. John Ortberg says, for this to happen, we have to ask and imagine. Think of that. If he will do far more immeasurably than all you could ever ask or imagine, there's no way for that Bible verse to come true or be fulfilled if you don't ask or imagine anything. Because he's going to do more than what you ask or imagine. So what are you asking for? What do you dream about or imagine God doing in you, through you, for the world? Maybe this is an indication of the particular part in which you might participate in God's, God's plan, God's adventure. You know, our, our forebearers were adventurous people. It took, it took a pioneer to think, this would be a good place for a camp, didn't it? 
where have those people gone? It took a pioneer, it took a dreamer to say, we could use a good Samaritan society. You know, it took a dreamer to say, ah, Lutheran Bible Institute, we should train young people in the scriptures. It took a pioneer to say, there's people, there's people in India, there's people in Bolivia, that, there's people in um, you know, China that don't know Jesus. Uh, our, we, have, we have it in our DNA. We have it in our DNA. And uh, in, a, in a sense, we think we're becoming so much more progressive than the people behind us, but in some ways, I wonder if we're becoming much more conservative. And I don't mean conservative, but I mean we're so worried about risk-taking and about conserving and about managing and um, that we're unwilling to kind of go, it's time to go take some kingdom, you know? So... That's what I am curious about you talking about. Let's pray. God, thank you. I gave these nice people seven minutes. That was really generous of me. Thank you, Lord, that you can do a lot in a short time. And you can do a lot over the long haul. Lord, maybe even as we speak this today, we, we heard about David's delegation of his call and his character, and maybe something came to our own minds, places that we've stepped out, places that we've gone to the rooftop and, and thought, I'm just kind of, I got eight wives below me, I got eight floors below me of adventure, and I'm, I'm not willing to engage in any of them. Maybe they're all too real. All of them have names. And so we step into some fantasy, step into some lack of reality in a million different ways i mentioned a few ways here but there's so many different ways we do this and um lord i i pray that wonderful son of david jesus would come in our midst into our own into our own kingdoms that we've built and into our own rooftops like when God sent Nathan John Piper says there's only one worse thing than being caught in sin not being caught in sin when we just go off into our own demise and our own death thank you for sending David Nathan Thank you for the forgiveness that you gave Dave. Sacrificial forgiveness, really. It cost a life, actually. It cost a son. And that rings true for us. It cost you your son. And yet you freely give us this word of forgiveness. Even now you say, I forgive you. I don't hold this sin against you. Jesus, thank you for your freedom. In your name we pray. Amen.